This podcast contains explosive content and polarizing music. Listen discretion is advised. You have been What's up everybody and welcome to Dead Behind the Eyes. In this episode of the podcast, we'll be going into part two of the Star Wars series. This will include looking at all of the prequels. Now, I know the prequels is nobody's favourites and they're actually quite shit, but we've got to do it. So I hope you stick around and I hope you enjoy. let's have a look at the prequel series everyone says that it's really bad but i think everyone then would agree that it's not as bad as what the sequels became because they are just the worst but we'll talk about them next friday but this friday we're going to be talking about the prequels and so that means we've got the phantom menace attack of the clones and revenge of the sith now they all done really well in the box office with phantom menace being released in 1999 it's its budget was $115 million. Now that is just, that's a fucking mental number to think of for a film, but it grossed $924.3 million worldwide. Now I'd say that's a pretty successful film and quite a lot of profit for everyone. The Phantom Menace is a pretty boring film, but it's a necessary film to introduce you to, well, the characters that especially one of the characters that becomes the biggest character in the franchise. So the film is set 32 years before A New Hope starts. And it's basically a whole film about a dispute against between the Trade Federation and the Galactic Republic. Now the film starts by Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan going as ambassadors to uh, the leaders of the Trade Federation because they have set up a blockade on Naboo, meaning that there's no trade that can come in and out of it. Basically starving the planet out. The Trade Federation then try and kill those two Jedis. But I think there's a really subtle hint at what is going to happen. Of course, we, we basically know what happens because the original trilogy tells us what happens and then the prequels is all, well, how did it happen? But you've got Obi-Wan says to Qui-Gon that he has a bad feeling about this. Qui-Gon then states that he can't, he doesn't sense anything. Obi-Wan responds with, it's not about the mission master, it's something elsewhere elusive. Now, is this the first hint that either Anakin is going to turn to the dark side, even though they haven't met Anakin yet, or that the Republic is going to fall because of a threat from the inside? Because if it's not about the mission, then it's not about what's going to happen to Naboo or that they're going to get killed. It's about something outside, and it's weird that only Obi-Wan senses this. I think it shows that he is a lot more powerful than people give him credit, and also that the other Jedi within the Order are giving him credit. Also, with the attempted execution of the two Jedi, you get your first introduction of an army made up of droids. You also get to see how non-effective they are, because the two Jedi just cut through them without any problem 
The stormtroopers are non-effective, but I think it shows the droids are even worse. So it probably gives you that first hint of why they're not using them later on in A New Hope. So like the first half an hour of the film is all just going on about the blockade, like she needs help, the queen needs help and all that. And, but you do get to meet Jar Jar Binks, or should I say Darth Jar Jar. That's probably one of the most ridiculous conspiracy theories surrounding Star Wars that there is. I'll go into all those mental conspiracy theories in part four after I've done the prequels. We're going to look at all the other films, not in depth, just lightly touching them. Uh, the series, the TV series, and mental conspiracy theories. Because there are some out there ones. Now Jar Jar is a Gungan. And from what you can tell, the Gungans are the native species of the planet. And they live underwater. They're a, they're an aquatic species. So Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon, of course, are down in Naboo. They've met Jar Jar. They go to where Jar Jar lives. He gets banished. Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon then go to Theed, which is the capital city of Naboo. They rescue Green Amidala. And then they, they get the fuck out of Dodge. On the way out, the ship gets damaged. And this is where we see R2-D2 for the first time. And how much of a badass he is, because... He repairs the ship, doesn't get blown up like all the other astromechs, which means that they can get away. But their hyperdrive has been damaged, so they have to go to Tatooine to get their hyperdrive fixed. So they land on Tatooine, and they find somewhere that has the parts, but they've only got Republic credits, and they are told that they are useless here. Now, I think that being told that Republic credits are useless is... I, I don't understand, because... Tatooine is a relatively poor planet compared to other ones in the galaxy. So why would you turn down any sort of currency? Like, I'm sure I could go to a really poor part of Africa. And because they just haven't got any money, they would accept Great British Pounds, even though they can't spend them. But they would accept them because they could maybe get them changed into their local currency. So surely that would be the same in the galaxy. If everywhere's got different currencies, surely there's a way to get those changed into the currency of the area. And another thing that I think is weird is in similar planets like Tatooine, you see that they trade in Imperial credits even after the Empire is destroyed. Now the Republic has been around for ages and the Empire was only around for about 50 years. So you can't tell me that those sort of planets would trade in Imperial credits when they've only been around for such a short time, but they wouldn't trade in Republic credits that have been around for hundreds of years. Anyway, we get to see a very naked C-3PO who is being made by Anakin because Anakin is a slave to Watto, who is who Qui-Gon is trying to get his ship parts from. And Qui-Gon makes a deal with Watto and he says, and we see Anakin is a good pilot and works well with machines well because he, there's a thing on Tatooine called pod racing. Pod racing is basically like NASCAR or Formula One or any sort of big motorsport in racing. And Anakin's a pilot in it. He pilots his own pod racer that he makes. So Qui-Gon makes a deal with Watto. He says that if he put up the, the entry fee and if Anakin wins, he'll repair his ship and to free Anakin from his slavery. He also wants to trade Shmi in that deal, which is Anakin's mother, but Watto doesn't allow that. He says that's too much. So anyway, of course Anakin wins the race because how would he get off Tatooine and is taken away from the planet. If Qui-Gon had managed to secure Anakin's mother within that deal, would Anakin have fallen to the dark side? Because he would have had the love of his mother and everything. But then again, 
when you're trained to be a Jedi, you're taken away from your family. So even if even if his mother was with him, he wouldn't have been able to see her. But then he wouldn't have gone back and tried to rescue her from the Tusken Raiders. If his mother had come with him, would that have meant that he would have never been a Jedi? Because would he have actually joined the Order? And more importantly, would it have meant that Naboo would have fallen and become under the rule of the Separatists? I'll come back at that a bit later on when we get to that part, but I think that's a good one. We learn that Anakin doesn't have a father. He was conceived much like the Catholic Immaculate Conception. So Qui-Gon thinks this means that he was born of the Force and he tests his midichlorians. Now midichlorians are the thing that the Force can, can do things through. The higher your midichlorians, the more attuned you are with the Force. And Anakin's readings are off the charts, like they're even bigger than Yoda's. So this would suggest that, you know, this kid potentially is more powerful than Yoda. As they're escaping off Tatooine, they come across Darth Maul, who is a Sith. And he battles Qui-Gon, and Qui-Gon only escapes because he jumps on the on their ship as it's flying off Tatooine. But that means that Darth Maul's revealed himself. And when they get back to Coruscant and talk to Jedi Council, they tell him of this. And this all shits him up a bit because they can't believe that they would have returned without him even knowing, but they have. They also test Anakin, and even though they know that he is strong with a force and he goes through the tests, he gets through him without flying colours, they deem him too old to start training to become a Jedi, and they refuse it. While this is going on, Senator Palpatine, that of course we know becomes the Emperor, he snakily tells Queen Amidala, that's the one of Naboo, that there's corruption within the Senate and gets her to call for a vote of no confidence against the then Supreme Chancellor. That then means that Palpatine becomes the Supreme Chancellor. And of course we know that Palpatine becomes the Emperor, but when you're looking back on the films with more knowledge, Palpatine pushing the Queen of Naboo into a vote of no confidence, knowing that he was going to win the vote, was putting him in, in the power to pull more strengths to get what he wants to happen happen. And with him becoming the Supreme Chancellor was this the point where really the empire begins now after that not a lot really happens they go back to naboo for some reason they still got anakin i don't understand why they go back to naboo because the trade federation have taken over naboo and the queen goes and talks to the gungans and they agree to then fight for their planet big battle happens the trade federation are they going to win but anakin gets inside one of their i don't know they're one of their like ships that's got cruise control on and they, he goes up and he, there's a space battle going on and he flies into the control ship blows it up and all the droids deactivate to me that's lazy writing and this is where i come back to my point of if anakin's mother was part of the deal that qui-gon made on tatooine that i think naboo would have fallen and if naboo would have fallen i don't know how that would have affected the later films because there'd have been no reason for anakin to stay with qui-gon and obi-wan if his mother was with him. So effectively, having Anakin with them actually saved Naboo from falling to Separatists. While Anakin's gone and had a little flyabout, Darth Maul reveals himself again, and Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon have a battle with him. They're going to, they keep battling, they go inside the reactor chamber, and there's like force fields that's, that get them in, there's multiple of them. I gather they're like a security door, I don't know what the point of them is, but there's multiple of them, and Qui-Gon and Obi-Wan get split up. When Qui-Gon is fighting Darth Maul on his own, Darth Maul uses his lightsaber, like the hilt of his lightsaber, to hit Qui-Gon in the face, stuns him, and then like stabs him in the chest. 
like fucks his shit up. Doesn't kill him, just mortally wounds him. Then Obi-Wan comes through and when he sees Qui-Gon fall, he gets quite emotional. So I don't know whether in this fight he taps into the dark side or not. I don't really know. But he seems he's battling with his emotions. It's not something that's even brought up in the film at all. But Darth Maul manages to overpower Obi-Wan and sort of there's a massive hole because Star Wars loves big holes. But there's a little tiny pipe that sticks out, fortunately for Obi-Wan, and he holds onto it. Darth Maul looks like he's going to like stab his hands and he's going to fall and Obi-Wan's going to die and all that sort of shit. He kicks Obi-Wan's lightsaber off the edge, but Obi-Wan pulls himself up with the force, flips over Darth Maul, pulls Qui-Gon's lightsaber towards him. With all this, Darth Maul's a bit like, what the fuck's going on? And then Obi-Wan just chops Darth Maul in half and he falls down the massive hole, his torso and his legs. But what we find out in the animated series is, is that Darth Maul doesn't die. He's so angry that he actually uses the dark side to keep himself alive. But it does turn him crazy. And that's basically it. Then they will have a massive party, as usual. Every film ends with a party, but shit gets worse in the next one. So the main plot points of the film is Naboo's trying to get taken over. They find a kid who's strung with a force. Palpatine becomes a Supreme Chancellor. Anakin destroys a control ship and all the droids are deactivated, and Qui-Gon dies, and that's really about it. The film feels slow, and lacking a sort of real focus. A lot of things seem to be put in for the sake of making a film longer. As I stated above, all the things that are actually important, you could have probably got that done within 45 minutes, but the film goes on for over two hours. The film being before the original trilogy, I don't see how the technology can be better like, it looks like you see better ships and and it's really just the heads up displays that seem to annoy me all the holograms that they have and this that and the other seem to be in the most basic of technology and you only see one hologram in the whole of the original trilogy which is when emperor palpatino talks to darth vader anyway the cgi is vastly improved i don't think that's a shock to anyone and i think that's the reason for the technology in the franchise being better because they wanted to show off how good their CGI was rather than staying true to the aesthetic that they sort of created in the original trilogy. Now I know the original trilogy only looked that way because that's sort of what they had at the time and they couldn't look into the future and see what that would be and I suppose you could also argue that the galaxy became less technologically advanced when the Empire took over but then the Empire would still have had all the toys and, and all the bells and whistles and that which they don't. What is really good about the film is that you see emergence of different cultures. On Tatooine, you see the pod racing, which I don't think spans a lot of worlds. And on Naboo, you've got the Gungans that you see live very differently from the Queen and her people. Like you see there's definitely a cultural diversity going on there. That allowed you to be more immersed in the film, in the environment of it, but then you were sort of brought back out again by the story, which was a bit shit. I think I've had enough talking about The Phantom Menace. It was the worst of the prequels. I won't say the worst Star Wars film, because then the sequels happened, but it's definitely the worst of the prequels. Now, moving on to episode two which is The Attack of the Clones, was released in 2002, and its budget was 120 million. Now, this didn't do as good as The Phantom Menace. It only grossed 600 million worldwide. I'll say only. 600 million. Fuck me. What I could have done with that. But for the first time, it was a Star Wars film that did not earn the highest 
box office sales for the year. Attack of the Clones actually ended up fourth. The highest grossing was The Lord of the Rings of Two Towers, then it was Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, and then Spider-Man. So this, uh, this Star Wars didn't actually do that well. I say didn't do that well. It got 600 million grossing. It made a 480 million pound profit. But anyway, it was shit compared to the other ones. Attack of the Clones starts 10 years after The Phantom Menace, and the Separatists are now led by a fallen Jedi who turns to the dark side called Count Dooku, or Lord Tyrannus. Now because of this, the Galactic Senate want to form an army, and Padme Amidala, the Queen of Naboo, former Queen of Naboo, returns to Coruscant to vote against the act, and as she's there, someone tries to assassinate her, but they actually only end up killing her decoy. Because of this, the Supreme Chancellor, old Palpatino, wants a couple of Jedis as her personal bodyguards. So he wants Anakin and Obi-Wan. Now I think it's weird that he wants Anakin and Obi-Wan, of course for the film to carry on and everything it needed to be them, but this would suggest that Palpatine knew stuff. Because the reason the Jedi Council were reluctant to train Anakin was because his future was clouded and they couldn't really tell what would come of him. But now choosing him and Obi-Wan to be the Senator's personal bodyguards was that because he could see Anakin's future and he knew that he was going to fall to the dark side and he was going to be his apprentice? Or was it that he knew either him or Palpatine's former master Plagueis created Anakin? And in that way, like it was already set in stone that basically he was going to be an apprentice of one of them. But anyway, someone tries to kill uh, Padme again. Everyone and Anakin go on a little chase. They track the assassin down. Before the assassin can say anything, someone else kills the assassin so the assassin of the assassin they have this thing that it was a dart that was used to kill the assassin and everyone goes to seals sees one of his mates called rex who tells him that that dart is from kamino now no one's ever heard of kamino and obi-wan gets back to uh, the jedi archives and this is where you probably see the most snooty fucking bitch that has ever been definitely you would call her a karen and she thinks she knows it all but she tells Obi-Wan that if it's not in the Jedi archives, it does not exist, like a cunt that she is. But Obi-Wan then goes and talks to Yoda, and of course, Yoda can help him out. Yoda's actually teaching a bunch of younglings, and one of them points out that, you know, it's gotta be there. So anyway, he flies there, and he finds the planet of Kamino, and it's actually a cloning facility, and they're creating a army for the Republic that no one knew of. Anyway, Obi-Wan meets up with the person who all the clones are based on called a bounty hunter called Django, Django Fett, which of course is, is Boba's dad. But Boba is not actually Django's son, it is just another clone of Django without the rapid aging that they put into the clone so they would can get trained quicker and they can deploy them quicker. Everyone has a little battle with him and they escape and yeah, that happens. Now, while this is all going on, of course, they learn that there's this new army that's being made for the Republic that no one knew about. And old Jar Jar Binks fucks things up again by moving to give Palpatine emergency powers, which means he basically controls everything and is where everything goes to shit. That's, this is basically the end of the Republic. Sort of like I said in Phantom Menace that the Empire had already basically begun when Palpatine became the Supreme Chancellor, but this is where now the Republic falls, really. Obi-Wan follows Django to Geonosis and is eventually captured by Dooku. 
while this is all going on, you've got Padme and Anakin have pissed off to Naboo and they get to fucking and all that sort of stuff. While that's all going on, Anakin gets a vision that his mother is in danger and him and Padme go back to Tatooine. He finds Watto who says that he sold his mother to a moisture farmer called uh, Gleg Lars. They go there, Anakin is introduced to his stepbrother Owen and he is told that his mother was kidnapped by Tusken Raiders. So Anakin travels to find them and he finds his mum like nearly dead and she actually dies in his arms. He has so much raid going through him that he kills he kills every single raider that's there. The women, the children, along with the men. Yoda senses that like shit's gone down and there's something that's not quite right. And you actually hear Qui-Gon's voice during the scene go Anakin no. This doesn't necessarily tell you that Qui-Gon's become a force ghost yet. Because Obi-Wan gets told by Yoda at the end of Revenge of the Sith that Qui-Gon has learned how to commune through the force. But if Qui-Gon was able to basically call out to Anakin, it would say that he's already a force ghost. And if that's the case, he would have already been talking to Yoda. So why did Yoda not disclose that information to anybody? Why did he not tell Obi-Wan before the end of Revenge of the Sith? That one is a little bit weird. While they're on Tatooine, they meet up with C-3PO again, and they take him with him. And just before Obi-Wan is captured, he relays a message through them to get back to the um, Jedi Council, saying they're like, this ain't good here, we, and people need help. Mace Windu has a little team that go to Geonosis, but Anakin and Padme actually decide to also go and rescue Obi-Wan. While Obi-Wan's been captured, Count Dooku actually tries to persuade Obi-Wan to join um, the dark side, saying that Darth Sidious, who is Emperor Palpatine later on, is now in control of the Senate. Obi-Wan, of course, goes, no, that can't be the case. The Jedi would have known, because we're all ignorant bastards. Anakin and Padme then arrive on the planet, quickly are captured by Jango, and they're sentenced to death along with Obi-Wan. And they have a nice little reunion within the arena. They're going to get dead by these like big animals that are going to come and kill them. They manage to not get killed by them. And this is where the Jedi strike team sort of swoop in and they battle uh, Dooku's droid army in the arena. Jango decides to join in with the fight and engages with Mace Windu. But Jango's jetpack actually malfunctions and he gets his head chopped off. Now Jango dying because his jetpack malfunctions is actually how Boba dies. We won't even though we know he's back because he's in the Mandalorian. But Boba dies because his the, the same jetpack malfunctions when Han Solo hits it and he flies into the Sarlacc pit. Also in the scene where Jango gets his head chopped off, there's I don't know if it's a subtle detail. I don't know if anyone's everyone's seen, but when you see the head flying across the scene. You actually see two shadows, meaning that his head flies out of the helmet. Then Yoda arrives with all the clones and a massive army on both sides have a big old war. Obi-Wan and Anakin then follow Count Dooku, who's trying to escape, with the plans of the Death Star. They track it down to his hangar and they have a bit of a fight, but Obi-Wan and Anakin are shit. Obi-Wan gets knocked out, I think, and Anakin gets his arm chopped off. Then Yoda limps in, then jumps around like a man possessed. Has a little fight with him. Kanduka tries to use Force Lightning, but it's no match for Yoda. So knowing that he ain't going to win, he tries to pull a big beam down on top of Obi-Wan and on Anakin, which distracts Yoda, of course, because he can't let that crush them. So he pulls that off them, and in that time, Dooku is able to escape. He then flies to Coruscant, meets up with Palpatine, who is 
orchestrates the whole war. It's all God has planned. In the temple, the Jedi are still being arrogant and can't believe that Darth Sidious is controlling the Senate. Yoda does say, and has sort of reasoning for it, that the dark side is capable of creating fear and mistrust. Windu agrees, but they do say they should monitor the Senate just in case. The massive clone forces sort of distribute all over the galaxy. And then back on Naboo, Anakin gets a mechanical arm and Padme and him get married in a secret wedding with C-3PO and R2-D2 being the only witnesses. Now, can droids really be a witness to a wedding seeing that their memories can be wiped? Because you see that at the end of episode 3 when the droids are under control of Bail Organa that he gets the droids' memories wiped. So does that mean that Anakin and Padme's marriage then becomes void because then there was no witnesses? Little one to think about there. This installment of the Star Wars prequel trilogy is definitely better than the first one. I think that goes without saying. They're still a bit too technologically advanced. However, we'll skip over that because I keep flogging the dead horse there, and I. The CGI, when it looks good, it looks really, really good. But then when they've had to do a lot of CGI in a scene, I think it can actually look worse than the first one. Because all the clone troopers are CGI. When you see one and one or two of them, it looks amazing. Like you might not even tell that they're CGI but when you see a whole like platoon you can definitely tell that they're computer generated as for the story it's good that you get two arcs because you've got Obi-Wan going to the cloning facility and later getting captured by the Sepsis that sort of stuff then you also see Anakin with Padme going off and doing their all sickly thing but then also getting captured by the Sepsis and bringing the two arcs together one of the main things that annoyed me was a Jedi trains its whole life to become like a warrior or a a diplomat, something like that. They all get trained in lightsaber dueling and all that sort of stuff. And so many of them get killed by droids. Now I know that there was shitloads of droids and they outnumbered the Jedi a lot. You'd have thought that, what, one Jedi is worth about 100 droids? Now I think there was about 200 Jedis. Now you can't tell me that there was 200,000 droids in that arena. But then again, I suppose they did have to thin the Jedi down for the story to progress in the next one and that. But yeah, that's, that's, that's Attack of the Clones. Lastly, you have Revenge of the Sith, which was released in 2005, and its budget was $113 million, and it grossed $800 million worldwide. So that one done a lot better than, than Attack of the Clones, but still not quite as good as The Phantom Menace. Now, the film is set three years after Attack of the Clones, and The Republic is pretty much fucked by now. The Confederacy of Independent Systems, under the leadership of Count Dooku, who is the Sith Lord Darth Tyrannus, has like basically attacked everywhere that is a Republic stronghold. Now, a general of the Separatist droid army called General Grievous has actually infiltrated Coruscant and captures the Supreme Chancellor, Old Palpatino, leader of the Senate, and has taken him prisoner. So you have Anakin and Obi-Wan who are going to try and rescue Palpatine and have a little, there's a little space battle going on. R2-D2 is shit hot again. Anyway, they get on Grievous' ship, they track down Palpatine and they have another fight with 
Dooku. Obi-Wan, shit again, gets force choked and thrown into some railings. He's out of it, leaving Anakin and Dooku to have a little fight. They have their fight and Anakin actually taps into the dark side for the second time now and manages to overpower Dooku and actually chops his arms off. I say arms, chops his hands off. Now, this is where you see Anakin's fall to the dark side really start. I mean, it did start when he went and tracked down all the Tusken Raiders and killed them. But yeah, that was done through hatred and everything and, and fear. But it was still something that was like personal to him. This time, because Palpatine's in the room where they're having this fight, orders Anakin to chop Dooku's head off. Anakin tries to resist and say, no, it's not the Jedi way. We don't execute people. We take him in. He needs to be tried for his war crimes, this, that, and the other. But Palpatine insists, and Anakin, like unaware of his real true intentions, does it. Because he says that he, Dooku's too dangerous to keep alive. And now that is where Anakin really falls, I think. This is where... Everything after that just reinforces his fall, but at this point he has fallen to the dark side. So anyway, Obi-Wan now wakes up, they've got Palpatine, they actually get captured by Grievous and brought to the bridge. Now Grievous is a cyborg, so he's sort of half organic, mostly machine, and they have a little fight. Grievous is basically going to lose, and he breaks the window, they're still in space, breaks the window, of course that means there's an air breach, he goes flying out, he uses his grapple hook to stay on the ship. But this leaves Anakin basically having to pilot a half-broken ship down into Coruscant, which he does actually manage to land, crash land, really. But Palpatine's safe. Anakin gets praised for being so brave. At this point, I forgot to say that Anakin is actually not a Padawan anymore. He is now a Jedi Knight. Obi-Wan's a Jedi Master. Anakin's a Jedi Knight. So they don't actually have to be together anymore, but they mostly are. Palpatine then talks to Grievous about what to do with the army after that. Grievous thinks like the, the war is basically done, like, Dooku's dead, but Palpatine says no, like his death was necessary, I meant to do it. That he's actually going to take a new apprentice, one younger and more powerful, which we know as Anakin, basically. Anakin then has a vision, a dream, but it's basically a vision, where he says that he sees Padme dying in childbirth, because Padme has revealed to Anakin that she's pregnant. He believes that he can't live without her, so he vows not to let this dream come true. But what he doesn't know is by trying to stop the dream, he actually makes it come true. Palpatine then wants to speak to Anakin, I gather because he consents his vision and he knows that he can use this. They meet in the Chancellor's office. The Senate has granted Palpatine even further emergency powers, giving him direct control of the Jedi Council. Palpatine confides in Anakin his fear, distrust and c contempt for the Masters and he appoints Anakin to be his personal representative on the Council. The Jedi Council doesn't want to but they accept Anakin's appointment but they don't grant him rank of Master. Anakin is fucking pissed by this but is quickly shut down by Windu who sort of ignores his outburst even though like, I feel that that was a point that someone should have been like what's going on with this kid's head? In the meantime, the Anakin is assigned to protect the Chancellor. And Anakin's annoyed. He This is not what he wants. He doesn't want to be a bodyguard. He wants to be master. Like He's just a lot of I wants, I wants, I wants. And he's a bit of a dick, really. Obi-Wan then tells Anakin that the Council wants Anakin to report on all the Chancellor's dealing. Essentially to spy on the Chancellor. Anakin don't really know how to take this. He feels, between, feels torn between both 
like his two friends, Obi-Wan and the Chancellor. And Obi-Wan's a bit pissed off by the situation too, but of course it's what the Jedi Council has said, so he has to be done. Anakin then goes and reports to Palpatine, because he is basically his personal bodyguard, and they sit and basically bitch about the Jedi, like how much that Anakin says like they should should have made him master and all this that and the other, and how that you know he doesn't really like him anymore. And Palpatine says that he thinks the Jedi Order wishes to sort of overthrow the Republic, and that Anakin must have sensed it, which is basically reinforcing all Anakin's disbeliefs. Anakin does try and defend the Jedi, but Palpatine does, you know, it's, it's all it's all perspective. Palpatine then talks about Darth Plagueis the Wise, who we actually know is Palpatine's former master. And he actually tells Anakin about how Plagueis used to be able to use the force to influence the midichlorians to create life. Not only this, but having such power and knowledge of the dark side, that Plagueis could use his ability to save people he cared about from death. Of course, Palpatine telling Anakin this sort of gets him his ears prick up and he wants to know if now this power can it be can it be learned because he's got Padme who's dying or that he foresees can die and he wants to try and stop this. Palpatine to all of this remarks that this power can't be taught from a Jedi. Then the Jedi get a message stating that they know where Grievous is and Anakin actually wants to go because Palpatino has said that he should go. But I think Palpatine knows that the Jedi Council are not going to allow that to happen. And Mace Windu actually says that, no, we will decide who goes, not the Chancellor. And they all sort of agree that Obi-Wan should go, because it needs to be a master with more experience. So that's all agreed on, and Obi-Wan then travels to Utapau to go and face Grievous. Just before Obi-Wan leaves, he has a little chat with Anakin, and Anakin's pissed off, but he tells Obi-Wan that you know he's not annoyed with him, He's just annoyed with the council when they have a little, they have a little heart to heart, and it's it's quite a touching moment. And it's actually the last moment that they speak to each other, sort of as fellow Jedi's and friends. Obi Wan then lands on Utapau and catches Grievous off guard. And they have a little battle. Grievous escapes. Obi Wan cracks on as well and loses lightsabers pitched up by Commander Cody because the clones have also come and followed him in. And then we have a. A scene that goes back to Anakin and back to Palpatine. Anakin tells Palpatine that General Grievous has been found and he's annoyed that he's not there. Their conversation shifts to Palpatine's knowledge of the Force and Palpatine reveals that he is in fact Darth Sidious. Anakin sort of ignites his lightsaber, wants to fuck him up, but then decides to just expose him to the Jedi Council instead because he's still concerned about saving Padme and believes that Palpatine is the only one that he can learn the power to keep her alive off. Obi-Wan continues his chase of General Grievous. They have a little have a little fight. Obi-Wan actually tears open Grievous's chest plate, revealing sort of organs and stuff. Grievous is pissed off by this and throws Obi-Wan over the edge, but again Obi-Wan manages to hold on to something and actually pulls the blaster to him and actually shoots Grievous's like organs that he can see and he bursts into flames. Anakin then goes back to the Jedi Temple and finds Windu. Windu tells him that Obi-Wan has managed to kill Grievous and they're actually going back to Palpatine to make sure that he gives back his emergency powers. However, Anakin then reveals that Palpatine is actually the Sith Lord they've been looking for. Windu is shocked by this and wants to know like how Anakin knows this. 
Anakin then says that Palpatine told him he knows the ways of the Force and has been trained in the dark side. So he's like, he's pretty sure. Anakin wants to go with Windu to arrest Palpatine, but Windu says that, you know, no, don't come because no, I can sense fear in you and it could cloud his judgment. Windu also tells Anakin that if he says, if what he says is true, then Anakin will have gained the trust of the Jedi Council. This probably means that, you know, if things have played out how they probably should have, then Anakin would have become a master. Windu and three other Jedi Masters then go to Chancellor Palpatine's office. Windu declares Palpatine under arrest and they all sort of ignite their lightsabers. Sidious then pulls his lightsaber out, not like that, and sort of like does this spinning thing at the Masters. He kills like all of them but makes Windu really easily. Windu and them fight for quite a while actually and Windu actually manages to get the better of, of Palpatino and tries to use his force lightning to kill Mace Windu but Mace Windu manages to block it with his lightsaber and actually push it back on Palpatine which disfigures him and also makes him really fat. I don't really know how but that happens. Anakin then walks in where Palpatine has just finished doing all his force lightning he's actually really weak or he says he's really weak and Windu's actually just about to kill him, but Anakin stops him and says, like, no, I need him, don't do that. And Palpatine uses this as, as a chance to go to Anakin, like, look, I'm really weak, they're trying to kill me. Windu then states to Anakin that, you know, he's too dangerous to keep alive. But just as Windu's about to kill Palpatine, Anakin sort of like jumps in and chops Windu's arm off, which then Palpatine uses as a chance and gets his force lightning again and whips Windu out of a window. Anakin's still conflicted, but... He pledges his allegiance then to Palpatine, who then names him Darth Vader. And then as Darth Vader then goes back to Jedi Temple and fucking kills everyone, that is still there. When Anakin leaves, then Palpatine executes Order 66. And this is an order that's been embedded into all the clones. And what this means that when they are told to execute Order 66, they will all turn on the Jedi and kill them. There are loads of Jedi that actually do manage to survive Order 66, but the only ones in the films are Obi-Wan, who Cody thinks he's killed but hasn't, and Yoda, who senses that this has happened and manages to kill his commander before he gets killed. Obi-Wan and Yoda then meet up, go back to the Jedi Temple, and find out there's actually a message that tells everyone to come, all the Jedi to come back to the Jedi Temple. This is a false message that's been set up by Vader trying to lure them all back in so they can get killed. So they managed to turn off that beacon and they look at the security footage and realise that Anakin was the one that killed everyone, even the younglings. Palpatine then addresses the Senate and tells them all that, look what the Jedi did to me, they tried to overthrow me, they've left me disfigured, just chatting a load of bullshit, they all believe him. And this is when the birth of the Empire starts. In the security messages in the Jedi Temple, they see Palpatine addressing Vader and telling him to go to the Mustafar system. So Obi-Wan then goes there himself. Obi-Wan then goes to uh, see Padme to see if she knows where Anakin's gone. She says she doesn't, but Obi-Wan hides on her ship and Padme actually goes to Mustafar where Anakin has been told to go. And they sort of, they have their little reunion because Anakin's happy to see her and everything but then 
Obi-Wan reveals himself on the ship and Anakin thinks that Padme has betrayed him. While that's going on, Yoda has a massive fight with Palpatine and Yoda realises that he's not going to win and sort of fakes his death or use an opportunity of what looks like his death to escape back on Mustafa. Obi-Wan and Vader have a big old fight. It's pretty even all the way through until a point where Obi-Wan's actually got the better position but Anakin, thinking he's more powerful and he's just better in everything, thinks that he can take on Obi-Wan and would still win. As Anakin tries to kill Obi-Wan from the less advantaged position, Obi-Wan chops his legs off and Anakin sort of falls to the edge of the lava that's on Mustafa and burns to a crisp. Palpatine then goes to Anakin and gets him to a medical bay and gets him sort of all together. Padme's also in a med bay because she's giving birth to Anakin's children, are actually twins. Of course, we know they're twins. She calls one Luke, one Leia. But the medical droids don't know what's happening. They know that Padme's dying, but they don't know why she's dying. Turns out she's dying of a broken heart. I don't... That's a bit shit. They could have found a better way of getting her dead than just the fact that she lost the will to live. But anyway, she dies. Anakin comes too as Darth Vader and asks Palpatine, where's Padme, how is she? And that's where Palpatine tells him, you know, Padme's dead, you killed her. Of course, that is false. Well, it's not entirely false. He, his actions did ultimately end up causing her death, but he didn't directly kill her, which sends him even into more, like, rage and fear. And it's all enforcing all the dark side emotions to fall in deeper, deeper and deeper. Obi-Wan then meets with Yoda, Yoda eventually then tells him that Qui-Gon has become one with the Force and he's going to teach him how to commune with him. And they decide that Obi-Wan will take Luke to Tatooine to live with Anakin's stepbrother. And I can't decide whether that's a good idea or not. It's like hiding Luke in plain sight, but at the same time, Anakin hates Tatooine. There's, like, there's no reason for him to go back there. So it's actually not a bad place to hide him at the same time. And then Leia, they actually give to Bail Organa because he sank about like they can't have children or something. They've always wanted a daughter. So they take Leia in and that's how she becomes a princess. And that's basically the end of Revenge of the Sith. A lot more happens in Revenge of the Sith. And it's a... No, I'm going to actually say it. It's good. I actually really enjoyed it. It was definitely one of the... It was definitely the best film of the prequels. And I might actually rate it amongst the original trilogy. Like for me, it goes Empire Strikes Back... Return of the Jedi, Revenge of the Sith, A New Hope, Attack of the Clones, and then I don't know. Then I think it's one of the sequel films, then probably Phantom Menace, and then the other two. What's the second one of the sequels? I can't remember. I'd probably go the second one of the sequels, then A Phantom Menace, and then Episode 7, then Episode 9. Yeah, that's probably the order I'd put them in. Yeah, as I was saying, Revenge of the Sith is definitely the best one of the prequels and the sequels because it just has a lot more going on it feels like that is all that the prequels could have and should have been they didn't need to be three films it could have all been explained in like one film that was maybe two and a half to three hours long which hasn't been like that's not like that's something new to do in films to have like one that's a feature length they could have just made one film and that could have been the whole of the prequels the film looks amazing like there's no part of that film that doesn't look good i'm not even going to talk about the aesthetics of it because probably know my thoughts at this point the acting's not bad the story's not bad you know it, it just is quite a good film i ain't gonna there's nothing more i can really say about it i think there's plot holes that they've only it's it's not like one of those plots where everything 
has to go that way. There's other ways that the plots could have gone that might have still come up with the same outcome or not. If it was like the plots only went that way because of we knew what the ultimate outcome was. It weren't a story that could be developed. It was a story that had a finish and they had to get to that point. But I think that's a problem with all of the prequels. At the same time, I think that's a problem with the sequels where they Disney couldn't give a fuck about what Lucas wanted. They never had an end goal. So they were just sort of making up as they go along. So there's pros and cons to both of it. The problem with Star Wars is no matter what they do, they're always living up to a hype. And people put the whole franchise on such a high pedestal that it's quite hard for things to, to make it to the point where they're perceived to be good. But anyway, however shit they were, they were Star Wars, they were good, I enjoyed them. There's something that I would sit down, all the films, all the prequels, I would sit down, I would watch them, I would enjoy them over and over again. And I think that's a sign of a good film. They're not good at what we expect Star Wars to be, but they're good films. Now with that, I think that's basically the end of the episode. I'd like to thank everyone for listening. And please join me Monday for our third instalment of the broadsheet where we'll look back at the last week's news. And also next Friday, where we will be looking at the sequels of the Star Wars franchise and ripping them a new hole because they're terrible. This episode of Dead Behind the Eyes has been written, hosted and produced by me, William Robbins. Music is by The Shadow Guard, Adam Fatoski and Darren Curtis. If you could please leave us a five-star review on Apple Music or wherever you listen to our podcast, that would be greatly appreciated. It helps us grow and just become better. And if you'd like to contact me in any way, you can contact me at dbte.podcast at gmail.com. That's the first letters of dead behind the eyes, dot podcast at gmail.com. Feel free to drop me an email. Tell me what you'd like me to talk about what you think is good, what you, criticise me, call me a dickhead if you want, I don't mind, just as long as people engage me, I feel good about it. So thanks for listening, and please join us next time on 